I'm Mike. I'm Dave. And this is Between the Lines. And we're back. And we're snowed in. And yeah, it snowed. Uh, you know, it was 70 on, what was it, 70 on Monday. Yeah. And like 60 on Tuesday. And then... Blizzard on... Blizzard on Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about bipolar. I know, right? <laughs> my family, it's a saying everywhere, but my family's always said, if you don't like the weather in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, just wait two hours. Yeah, it'll change. <laughs> it'll change. It'll definitely change. It's more, it's, uh, more fickle than our administration. Oh my God, <clears throat> I need to get a I need to get a soundbite of Kamala Harris cackling to put on her. <laughs> oh, did you see the views all mad about people uh, making fun making of her? Making fun of her, yeah. It, they, it, they didn't have a problem with making fun of Sarah with Sarah Palin when she was running for uh, for vice president. Anybody that takes the view seriously needs to not be taken seriously. Yeah, there <laughs> there is no there is no value. Um, intellectually or otherwise it's not even entertaining to I would, watch the view. i would say it's about as uh valid as pet detective <laughs> <laughs> or pet, pet justice, justice. Yeah. <laughs> and we love that show i love that show <laughs> that that show was amazing we did an episode on that a while back. I can't even remember what the name of the episode was, but we listened to one or two episodes of Pet Justice, and it was glorious. All I can remember is Busey sit, standing there, sitting there and going, is that porn? Is that porn? <laughs> no porn. <laughs> no porn. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> oh, man. None of us could keep it together for that episode. No. But, um, uh, yeah, so lately... I don't. How much have you paid per gallon of gas? Oh recently? my god! Uh, I just filled up. I just I just got twenty dollars worth of gas on the way here, so I'll probably have to fill up on the way home. Jeez, <laughs> just because twenty dollars worth of gas is what maybe four gallons now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roughly, it's ridiculous. I what was the what was the maximum it hit back in two thousand eight? It was like four. The the average was four point one oh three. Okay. Um, was the average, and that was that was his historical high, and we have shattered that. Oh yeah, we're at like we're, uh, average is like four point four, something like that now. I'd be interested to see what I wonder what gas actually rose to. Now I know this is you've got to look at comparatively because of the value of the dollar at that time, but uh, what gas actually rose to during like World War One, World War Two. From from what I gather, I've been talking to a lot of of, of uh, po- posterity uh, in in my family, and and they were talking about how in the '60s and stuff like that uh, during the Vietnam era, gas was so cheap, like it was fifty cents a gallon or mm. something like that. You could you could fill up you you could take five dollars worth of gas if everybody in your group put a dollar in for gas. You could ride for the whole weekend. Good grief! And and um. They said that it, <clears throat> from what I gather from family historians, uh, <laughs> it was um, the worst of it hit during Carter, where they were rationing gas and and stuff like that. And your 
you, you got gas by the numbers in your license plate or something like that. Like if your license plate started with this, that then today was your day to get gas. Yeah. And this, that, and the other lines were so long. But um, they said even this is, yeah, they, we haven't hit the lines and stuff like that yet. So the, the gas is still available. But as far as price-wise goes, this is, even with the... Even with inflation and the the you know the the actual cost of currency and things like that, even with those metrics not being even, you're still paying more now yeah. than we've ever paid, you know, um, in comparison in the entire history of our industrial selves. It's crazy. I, you know, you know, the, everybody knows this is. It's not so much, and we talked about this already. It's not even so much a matter of having to spend that much to drive your own vehicle. It's the question of how that's going to translate yeah. into other service and oh, sure. industry and whatnot. Cause diesel is even more expensive, which I never understood. I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody knows how <clears throat> diesel and gasoline is actually made, but um, diesel is actually a byproduct of making gasoline. Gasoline was, is, is I guess the best way to put it is gasoline is actually a byproduct of making diesel, but um, they, you, you, you make them both at the same time. So I don't, I don't understand why diesel is more expensive except for the fact that it's more in demand because yeah. the truckers need it. And, you know, um, home heating fuel is basically diesel fuel and, and everything else. So there's, I think you're paying quote unquote, a, a surcharge on supply and demand when it comes to diesel. But I never understood why diesel was so much more expensive when gas with than gasoline when diesel is a byproduct. So you'd think, I, I don't know. And I'm not an expert. In diesel, you actually get a longer range. Oh yeah, out of it depending yep. on how you drive. Well, it's all it ha, it's also there's there's less waste. Yeah. Um, with diesel, gasoline, there's there's so much gas wasted with every combustion um, that. You know, you actually have gas leaking out of your tailpipe. Yeah. You know, little little bits of it. Um, Diesel is not quite like that. It's not the most efficient thing in the world either. But with the glow plugs and and the way that um, the pressure combustion, the way that diesel works, it's it's more efficient than gasoline. I know a lot of people that swear by, and you don't you can't find them as often. But vehicles that were actually built with diesel yeah. engines, and yep. I'm not talking like trucks. I'm talking oh, like. Yeah. Sedans. The old Volkswagen uh, yeah. Rabbit yeah. was an old diesel engine. Yeah. That thing, uh, my uh, my ex father in law, um, uh, he had a Volkswagen Rabbit in high school that ran on diesel, and he said he would get gas once a month mm. with that thing because you'd fill up the tank, and especially if you're only driving it back and forth to school. Most of them were manuals too. Oh, everything was which manual. they tend to be a lot more. That's efficient. why it's called. That's why it's called standard. Yeah, yeah. Because it came because it came standard, a yeah. standard transmission. Yeah, it, it came standard. Now you have to special order a standard transmission. Yeah. So it's it's and weird, but I prefer I prefer manual myself. Well, you think about how many people just don't drive manuals. I oh, mean, a lot of especially uh, the younger generations yeah. nowadays wouldn't even they don't even know yeah. how to start it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Like, where's my, the crank? Yeah, I have I have family members that are that are. They're of the millennial persuasion. No, um, and they get into a they get into a manual car and they they can't even turn it over because they don't know you got to push in the clutch first. Start looking for the rotary dial. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
It's, but, uh, uh, yeah, but th- as far as the price of gas goes, it's it's out of control. I was uh, so I don't know how accurate this is, but there's been a couple of numbers thrown around. But it, in Pennsylvania, where we're at, um, in Pennsylvania, it's uh, sitting between fifty cents to a dollar in taxes. Oh yeah, that we pay on every gas or every gallon of gasoline. So taking in taking that into consideration, you know this whole BS. Where I'm going with this is, you know, from a state level, um, they could immediately put into effect some uh, withholdings, whether it be withholding state sales tax on gas or withholding, you know, get taxes that the vendors themselves. Not I. I don't care so much about the manufacturers too much because they yeah. they make money hand they over make, fist. They make enough, irrespective of what happens, but. I mean, not that I'm against them making money. I'm just, you know, it always translates into costs on our end. No, for sure. I mean, we are we are capitalists here yeah. between the lines. Yeah, we are very sure. much so. I don't have any problem with a company making money. I just, I have trouble with a company making money uh, when everybody else is suffering. You yeah. know, that's, that's where yeah. I kind of start drawing the line at stuff. But anyways, my point was, is that, Practically speaking, there are options that the states have with regards to alleviating some of the burden that people are experiencing right now, specifically like businesses and, yeah. you know, and whatnot with, you know, gases and whatnot. In fact, Florida actually talked about uh, repealing or temporarily stopping its sales tax on gas, which amounts to 27 cents a gallon. And it's so much cheaper down. As soon as you hit the Virginia oh, border, yep. border, it's like 20 to 30 cents cheaper wherever you go down there. They so. should rename the Mason-Dixon line to the gasoline yes. discount line. Yeah. I. And what always got me is that uh, growing up in Pennsylvania, where I was at, we were right across the border from Jersey, and Jersey was always 20 to 30 cents. But get this, all the refineries were in PA. Yeah. So how is it that PA pays more for gas when Jersey... And get this, Jersey is, you know as well as I do, Jersey is a full-serve state. Yeah, you can't even pump your own gas. Yeah, so they pay out of that tax for the the full-serve mandate that they have in that state. They use that to pay for employees to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. So, And I'm just sitting here thinking, how in the hell can you charge less in a state, you know, when you have the refineries? (laughs) Anything anything to get people to come to jersey yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well you what know. A, what other reason do you have to go to new jersey well, gov- other than governor murphy governor murphy doesn't give people too many incentives to go over there <laughs> that's for sure that twat i never thought that i would <laughs> never thought that i would miss chris christie yeah i know <laughs> jeez isn't that isn't yeah. that a strange place to be New Jersey politics, I mean, it's 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 an animal in and of itself. I was so hopeful that the uh, Murphy would have lost, but uh, he surprisingly came through. Yeah, in the end, wasn't it? Was it New Jersey that almost that one no name guy? Yeah, won. He won in New Jersey. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't not no-name. governor. He but. was. He was a state congressman. I mean, yeah. he had been involved in stuff, but in in the grand scheme of things, yes, he was no name in terms of somebody that most people wouldn't recognize. He, just he by, won. I, I'm pretty sure it was a trucker in New Jersey beat out a like 30 year congressman or something like like the head oh, the head of. You're the, talking about yeah for the for a local spot yeah he yeah. was running for state rep 
Yeah. And and he actually beat out. Spent a hundred bucks on yep. his campaign. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was a little more than that, but yeah, the point was is that in comparison, he did very little in terms. But you know that by itself just shows the hunger oh, yeah. that people have for a change in the politics that happen on a local and a state level. When you're when you're willing to disregard how much political advertising is being mm-hmm. dumped into television and radio and all that kind of stuff, yeah. in in favor of a, this guy who just pops up on the scene. You know, that goes to show that people are really hungry for more grassroots types yeah, of actual yeah, people, people that they can connect to, not these distant elitist oligarchs that, yeah. you know, live yep. in our, live in our states that, you know, t- you know, family lines, you know, think of the Cuomo's. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Family lines. Yeah. The Bushes. The Bushes. The Bushes. The Clintons. The Clintons. It's it's yeah. all like this family lineage crap. You know, it's like we have oligarchs. We just. Don't, oh, yeah. We p- pretend that they don't exist, but they do. But did you anyway. ever watch? Not, not to get too far off topic, but did you ever watch? There's a there's a, um, and again, uh, you know, vet your information. But yeah. there, there's a YouTube video out there that that goes through the family lines and shows how all the U.S. presidents have been related. Oh, like yeah, every one of them explains their third finger or, their, <laughs> or the sixth finger. No, I'm it's, just kidding. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> But I, I mean, the argument could be made if you go back far enough, we're all related. You know what I mean? Like you can go back six, seven, eight generations. Yeah. We'll find common ancestors yeah. between the two of us. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? But it's it's really weird that that presidential families have that have that close of ties. Yeah. Like Eisenhower's married Nixon's. Uh, you know, Kennedy's married. And it, it's it's just really weird the way even yeah. o, even Obama everybody thinks oh well he's he's the 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 um, the first black president so on and so forth he's got to be an outsider no no he was related to um, he was related to Nixon through marriage yeah he was related to oh who was the other at any rate he's part of the club too the only president the only president in United States history that wasn't somehow related to all the others was Martin Van Buren. Huh. And it was only because he was Dutch. Interesting. And every 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 other every other American pre- well, I know those, president those Dutch are cheap comes so, from um, an English heritage. Not only an English heritage, but they're all related to the first King George, hmm. not the King George that we fought. Is it King George? I think so. I may be talking out the side of my mouth. Research it yourself. Um, but they're all related to this one king of England. And it, and it's all just passed, and it's just Illuminati bullshit. But yeah, you know what I mean. It, it's still <laughs> very odd. Who knows? Like I, everybody's remember related. All like those, that. Remember all those? Remember all those? Was it back during the '90s or early 2000s? Back when uh, when Bush was really on the scene. You know, the Bush Senior and Bush Junior mm-hmm. were really on the scene with things. Uh, remember that um, conspiracy that came out? I don't know if it's a conspiracy or not, but that group out in California, that weird cult out in California oh, yeah, that yeah, they yeah. would get together and supposedly all these people were part of it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, the stories like that are a dime a dozen, you know, as well as I do, but you know, you got to start wondering, it's like, where do these stories start from? Either yeah. it's a couple crazy people just randomly inventing stuff like they do for TV or, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's gotta be Every conspiracy theory is woven with a thread of truth. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's got to be some there's got to be some truth there or else it never gains traction. Well, it's just like now with Ukraine and I want to get back to the gas thing real quick, oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. with Ukraine and Russia, I mean, look at the the huge disparity in opinions on what's real and what's not in terms of what's actually happening. Like this is, we're talking about stuff that just happened yesterday or two days ago. And everybody's like, ah, it's fake news. That's fake news. You know, it's, it, it, you know, everybody accepts what truth they're willing to accept. It's like if, if the, if the person in question is in this mindset that Russia is okay for what they're doing, then they're going to accept any truth that supports that pro-Russian mentality. Mm-hmm. And the, it just happens to be that everybody, you know, the majority of the world right now is on the Ukrainian side in yeah. terms of publicly speaking. For the most part. Uh, for sure. the most part. If you talk to, you know, the Middle Eastern countries and India and, you know, talk to, the, you know, those people in those populations, there might be a difference of opinion. But as far as the Western world's concerned, everybody is gung-ho Ukraine right now, yeah. you know, for the most part. Um, but you know, that being said, even we don't know if everything news wise that's pro Ukrainian is necessarily true. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it was the same way during world war two. Um, you know, the, the Nazis had their propaganda machine, but we also had a pretty heavy propaganda machine ourselves. Yeah. And you know, not every, I've seen Captain America. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I've seen, I've seen pro-ally, um, you know, Western World War II propaganda, and you look at it and you're like, that's eh, not entirely true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what yeah. I mean? That's eh, not on the up and up. Well, if you think even like Sam Lee, who started Marvel, yeah, you think about a lot of the characters that evolved, it evolved out of his understanding of history, you yep. know, and things that he saw. If you look at a lot of the characters, I mean, they're, a lot of them are influenced by stuff that they were experiencing during the 50s, 60s, and on upwards. Yep. I mean... Um, comic the comic book universe definitely reflects real life. It's a more exaggerated yeah, version, yeah. Um, but it definitely reflects what what was actually going on. Um, there's a lot of um, you know a lot of people will say, um, in my opinion, in the future that comic books are the art form of our our generation of art because it. Not only the 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 actual books themselves, but the movies become influential and they reflect they reflect what's going on in society. So it's almost like it's kind of a lofty um, thing to say, but the comic books of today are like Shakespeare was, yeah, in his time because yeah. Because he reflected a lot of the changes and the and poked fun at the norms of his society in, in, in his time. And comic books basically do the same thing in our well, time. You think the mentality of people today, especially when you were just talking about that millennial age group a little while ago, think about what they'll gravitate to more than another. You know, you, you stick a history textbook in front of somebody or a comic book that mm-hmm. talks about a historical mm-hmm. subject, which one is more likely to be picked up than yep, read? Exactly. You know, it's it's just it's something that we have adopted as part of our culture. I mean, you have to imagine it's like comics have been around since before we've been around. Oh yeah, you yeah, know? longer than we've been alive. So I mean, it's pretty much part of the culture now. They've only it? been popular though for the past 10, 15 yeah, years. Yeah, and it's mainly because of the 
TV. Because when I was growing up, I loved comic books, but I couldn't tell anybody I loved comic books. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? It was sort of like telling somebody you're part of chess club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was. It had. The, it had the same ramifications. Yeah, like you just. Exactly. You just didn't tell people no, you were into no, Spider Man. No, you kept that one on close to the chest. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't tell people you had action figures at home still in, still in the box. <laughs> Jeez. Which you know, had you done that, you know, how many of us would have kicked ourselves for oh, how man. much you can sell some of those things? Where I found. Uh, I found an old. This was probably 10, 15 years ago, but I, I found an old, it was supposed to be a Christmas present and it got tucked away and we, we lost it or whatever. And then all of a sudden we found it and it was a, it was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That's awesome. Action figure still in its package. Did you leave it in there? Oh, it's still in its package. Nice. Yep. So Which I one is that. it? Michelangelo. Nice. The, yeah. the 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 favored yeah the favored so it was son. even it was even one of the one of the more popular that's awesome so I got that just sitting around um, you know so that's pretty cool I wish I had my old Ghostbusters stuff but yeah. I never would have thought in a million years that Ghostbusters would be as big as it is today I was uh, I was surprisingly GI Joe and Transformers oh, yeah. growing up that was I did my a lot thing. of GI Joes uh, my brother in law still has still has his old Optimus Prime. The original Optimus Prime that came out back in the day that you could turn it into a truck and then, but he still has his in in a box. They were such a unique toy because I mean, I mean, they were all coming from Japan. That's when Mm -hmm. Japan, you know, and what cracked me up, a lot of people don't realize is that the original writer, the person who started G.I. Joe is actually Japanese. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Which is kind of, I mean, but that's it. But that just goes to show of that, you know, that Japanese U.S. relation that just formed so tightly over, you know, World War II was horrible, but, you know, you just, you see that blending of culture that just happened over years. So it makes you wonder like, we, we had such a contentious relationship with Japan for so long. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're our best friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, if you think about it, we're like, we're like yin and yang when yeah. it comes down to it. I mean, I, I you go to Japan and it's a culture unto itself, you know, in, in, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, there's it's like there were aspects of both cultures that kind of rang true for both of us. Like we love the idea of samurais. Oh, absolutely. They love the idea of cowboys. Yeah. And there was just something about the two. There was something about the culture that just rang true for both of us that we just adopted it as, you know. We were more alike than we were different. Yeah, in many Absolutely. ways. In many ways. And and that's definitely reflected in uh, in the Karate Kid movies. Yeah. <laughs> <Kobe>. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi brought us all home. Wax on, wax off. That's right. That's um, right. But back to gas, I mean... The the thing is, is there's some very practical steps. The steps in the in the 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 federal state could take to alleviate this. But the big question is, is why they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, I made the comment the other day, and maybe I was a little bit aggressive about it, but I said, uh, Buttigieg uh, or Butthead, Buddha Judge, however B- you say, Buddha Judge, that guy, the the South Bend, Indiana mayor, yes. who uh, couldn't get potholes fixed, and yeah. ended up reaching out to Domino's Pizza <laughs> to have them pay for it. Which everybody's like, well, you know, that's just a conservative thing. It's like, no, that's actually what happened. But anyways, that's not that's not neither the, here nor there. neither here nor there. My thing is, is that he stood up in front of the American people and said, well, maybe this is an opportunity for you to buy an EV. An electric vehicle. Okay, let's take this into perspective. We are telling people that are right now 
fighting this possibly fighting to stay above water businesses that are fighting to stay above water because of the one to two dollar increase in gas costs per gallon that they're having to adopt into their overhead which translates into the cost that goes to their customers and then just the people themselves the day-to-day people trying to live and work and get back and forth to work we're telling those people that are having a hard time adopting that one to two dollar increase on gas to go out and buy a sixty thousand dollar plus vehicle that we discuss this that we know that in five to ten years could have a battery issue that costs them another ten to twenty thousand dollars to fix to me, and this is the statement I made, to me, that's like Pete or Biden himself spitting into people's face. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, it's tone deaf, if nothing else. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking about it. It's like, you know, that would be like, it's like that Gaffigan joke that he does. He, he's like, you know, I walked past that homeless guy and gave him a couple ketchup packets and was like, hey, here's some ketchup for that food you might get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Completely to me, that's fun. the yep. that's what's happening is it's essentially it's 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 our government doing whatever the hell they want, trying to push through an agenda that they've wanted from day one, simply despite or in spite of what it's going to cause for the people that elected them. And uh, to put this even the more perspective, you know, voting Democrat or Republican, it's never been there was a time when it didn't really matter as much. It, you know, if you told me you voted a Democrat, who cares? If you told me you voted Republican, who cares? You know, it, it really it really only mattered what you voted for. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, because you as you know, as well as I do, there are Democrats out there that are good. There are Republicans out there that are bad and yeah. vice versa. Absolutely. You know, and in between all the in betweens as well. It doesn't matter your label. It matters what you vote for. But let's put this in the perspective in current day events. On Wednesday, Wednesday evening, 219 House representatives of the Democratic persuasion voted against opening up the Keystone Pipeline again. Yep. In light of the fact that gas prices are blowing through the roof, they've made the announcement that they're going to move forward with canceling the purchase of Russian oil, despite you know what we talked about last week mm-hmm. on this. They voted in light of that. So that tells me something. That tells me that those 219 representatives, which represent districts, each and every one of those representatives represent an individual district, a land space, a geographical location with people that are spending money on a day-to-day basis trying to make ends meet, inclusive of the businesses that reside there. Do those 219 representatives actually represent the feelings and the the needs of the people in their respective districts in light of what's going on. And this is exactly why I'm an independent now. Because for me, the last straw was in 2016. Uh, Donald Trump won the election. We had the House. We had the Senate. And we had a pretty even uh, majority on the Supreme Court. It was was basically 50-50 on the Supreme Court. Which the Supreme Court shouldn't be partisan, but that's another, yeah. that's another argument. Yeah, um, it is, and it, and it always will be. Um, there's going to be, you know, depending upon the president that appoints them, they're going to have certain viewpoints, and that's why they're sitting on the bench. Everybody's got a viewpoint. It depends on how they respect the yeah. Constitution, though. Yep. And that's why I told you before, mm-hmm. not to cut you off, but yeah. Byers, who just yeah. resigned, even though he was leftist 
very leftist in some of his persuasions and opinions. He always was very upfront about his respect of the Constitution. And by that, a copy of it in his pocket. And that, from to me, that engendered a lot of respect mm-hmm. for him. Yep. Despite his standings. Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, the, to to that same point, I I never fully agreed with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I respected the hell out of her because yeah. she. There were many times when she voted against her own. Her, her own political persuasions because it was the right thing according to the Constitution. Yeah. And that's what you're supposed to do as yes. a Supreme Court justice. Yep. The point I was trying to make is that the Republicans did nothing with it. They had, they had the presidency, they had the House, they had the Senate, and the only quote-unquote obstacle would have been the Supreme Court because it was 50-50. But they could have done all of everything that they wanted to do. But they sat on their hands for two years and then the Democrats took over the house and then, and the, and the uh, Senate. And we, we still got the majority in the Supreme court after Donald Trump was out. But that was the last straw for me because every election, the Republicans would say, this is the most important election we've ever had. We need to get the house and the Senate and the presidency so that we can move forward with what, you know, yeah. what I believe was the right thing to do, the conservative viewpoint, and they did nothing with it. So it just it it pointed out a glaring uh, fault in our political system, especially the two party system, is that they're both they're just different sides to the same coin. Yeah. Y- you know, when yeah. when Democrats are running for election, they, they make all the promises in the world and never come through. When Republicans are, are trying to get the majority in the office, they make all kinds of promises and they never come through. Yeah, it, they're they're the, and they ignore each party in its own way, ignores what its constituents actually want. Yeah. And they you know, there's no. I, 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 I long for a time when farmers and, uh, you know, metal worksmen and, and blacksmiths ran the country because that's how it started. Yeah. You know, when it, when this country was founded, not to get too much on a soapbox, but when this country was founded, it was ran by the people, the actual people, not the people that the people elected. Yeah. It was ran by the people. Well, it was a different one-to-one relationship. If you figure, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have career politicians. Exactly. That's really what it boils down to. I mean, when it gets down, that's why I am such a strong, something that you don't hear much about in the news or the convention of states. You know, the convention of states, one of their, you know, if there's a, what does the majority have to be? like? Two-thirds of the states. Two-thirds of the states. So, yep. what, 34, 35, somewhere. Yep. But anyways, the point is. It might the, even be three-fourths. That would make sense. It might it, even it's it's it would a really have to high be, bar. It would have to be to it's amend. a really high bar. Because so just so if you're not aware of what this whole convention of states is, it's it's an actual constitutional piece where if a, a, a quorum or a three fourths majority, if that's what it is, of the states agree to something, then they can make amendments to the constitution. It's a big deal it's without not, the legislature, without the legislature being involved in this, in this process. It's a pressure relief valve. Exactly. Built so, into the constitution, which, you know, is, was ingenious it that was. they did that. But at the same time, one of the big key points of this convention of states that's driving it are term limits, mm-hmm. term limits. I mean, there should Joe Biden should have never been in office for 40 years, 40 plus years. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, 
McDonald, uh, you know, all the, I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat, there shouldn't be a single politician in government today that should be able to say that they've spent more than what, maybe 16 years, yeah. give or take, yeah. in public have office. A lifetime. No. In, it in should not be a politics. career. And to your point, and why I'm bringing this up, is that there was that one-to-one relationship where you had, like, John Adams, who was an agrarian, he was an agricultural guy. He was big into farming. Mm-hmm. That was his heartbeat, so to speak, outside of politics and being a lawyer. Yep. And the thing, what is so amazing about these guys, you know, you know, despite all their fallacies and their fallings. Oh, they, had their, they had their warts. Despite all that, I mean, these people were people were jacks of many trades and good at them. I mean, you had John Adams, who was a lawyer, he was a farmer, he was a statesman, a statesman he a was a businessman. I mean, you had people that did so many different things um, across so many different spectrums, but they were connected to the people in such a personal way because they were working regular day-to-day jobs that connected them to the earth, so to speak, yep. to a point to where... They couldn't lose sight of what was really affecting people. That, that's why the war was such a close, was such a was such a uh, close to the chest thing for the people during the Revolutionary War. Because you have to imagine, you had pastors of churches going out and fighting. You had, you know, you had um, just fathers leaving their house to go a couple miles away to yep. fight a battle. I mean, these. The, it would be the equivalent of what's going on in the Ukraine right now. You have um, mayors of cities that are walking, not necessarily getting away from their responsibilities as mayor, but they're taking on a new responsibility as a soldier, yep. as a colonel, as yep. a whatever needs to happen there. And they're fighting and they understand what's happening to their people because they're right there on the streets with their people while this is happening. That's well, why we have so much respect for the Ukrainian people right now because of you know, one of the people. arguments that was made during the revolution is uh, against the war was this. Um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody stood up in one of the Virginia delegations and he said, this is this is not going to be a war that's fought on some distant battlefield. Your children will learn of it with their own eyes and their own experiences, and it'll be fought in your backyard, not in not in some distant battlefield. And that was. That was true, but that's also why why I think um, this country took it to heart so much because it was personal. The Revolutionary yep. War was very personal. It was tactile. Yeah. You could reach out and touch it. Yeah. Um, and those that went through it valued freedom, I think, more than we value it today because freedom today is a word. It's, it's not a feeling. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a goal. It's just a word. Yeah. And liberty doesn't even mean today what it meant. I mean, you know, dictionary definition it means the same, but it doesn't it doesn't have the same sentiment that it that it once had. Well, Freedom look, and liberty well, are look, just words. Look how they tried to stigmatize the word recently. Yeah. There was an attempt by some media outlets to stigmatize the word freedom. You know, especially from Trudeau up in Canada, yep. he was trying to stigmatize the word freedom as being something equivalent to a terrorist act. Yep. It's like when you have people, politicians, media that are trying to port, force this narrative through the stigmatization of the word freedom, it's time for those people to go. Yeah. Patriot was even taken over like Patriot now. Uh, Patriot at one point used to mean somebody that loved their country and would do anything. Yeah. To, but now Patriot is uh, a terrorist. 
Yeah, well, they've been blending those words, patriot, nationalist, you know, so it's like, it's like in Israel. We know, without knowing all the specifics, just how pressure, how much pressure that state is under. Oh, yeah. Because of all the potential, and that was something I wanted to bring up, but, you know, just with um, their current prime minister inter- acting as an intermediary between Putin and Zelensky right now, which is... A Weird. whole strange thing going on right now anyways. But my, my point is, is that, um, you know, them being under that kind of pressure, the current prime minister is labeled as a Zionist. Mm-hmm. Bennett is labeled as a Zionist because his previous party, the party he's a part of right now is called the New Right, the mm. New Right Party. Mm. So he's considered, he, he and his party are considered more politically conservative, conservative in terms of, what matches up with Zionism, like the the nationalist state mentality, um, he is more conservative in that respect than even Netanyahu was. Yeah. So, because Netanyahu, I mean, if you, I don't, I don't know if it all happened under him, but ranging from who was the one, Ariel Sharon was the one I think that was right before uh, Netanyahu. He was the one that kind of mentored Netanyahu. But the two of them were more open to that idea of Middle Eastern integration and involvement and that's why you have you know we talked about this on an episode a while back ago how that the senate or their parliamentary in israel is made up of more than just israel people from israel that are ethnically israeli yeah it's made up of palestinians it's made up of people from all walks of life in that entire region so they opened up the door for more involvement whereas now you have a prime minister that might be looking at that through a more narrow lens, so to speak. But he's considered a Zionist. But in our in our mentality, you know, <laughs> you know where I'm going with yeah, this? Yes, no, that, I get it. You know, national patriot Zionism, yep. this idea that it's wrong to have a national identity. It's wrong to feel that you need, and you can have national identity and still be accepting of other people. Yeah. You can be a patriot and be okay with immigration. Absolutely. And that's what I think they're trying to create this narrative. Absolutely. Is that a, par- a patriot is somebody that hates immigration, yeah. that hates, you know, people of different walks of life, different opinions, and they're turning them into this terroristic silhouette, you know, so to speak. Hey, I, I maintain today that... I've I've said this before on the podcast, and I say it a lot in my own life. The founding fathers were terrorists. Yeah, yeah. They by today's by today's definition, they absolutely yeah. were terrorists, and they were seditionists. Yeah. And had had the war gone the other way, every one of them would have had a six foot drop and a quick drop. Yeah. <laughs> every yeah. one of them. Yeah. Every one of them. Yeah. And because we won the war. They're heroes, but if we'd if we'd have lost that war and still maintained a colony of Britain, they would have been hung as traitors. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And the 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 mentality that you know, I use this phrase all the time. It's a famous Thomas Jefferson quote: "The tree of liberty must be watered from time to time with the blood of patriots and yeah. tyrants." Yeah, and that's not a that's not a a threat of violence. It is a threat of violence, but it's. But it's a threat that if tyranny becomes, if tyranny becomes so so prevalent that it starts to outwash the freedom, yeah. then patriots need to take up arms against the tyrants. And it and it's just a saying that means you have to be ever vigilant. You can't. You can never let any 
inch of your freedom cede to tyranny or else tyranny yeah. will never cede that that inch back yeah and it'll take much more and um people that use that quote are now considered to be conspiracy theorists and terrorists and all because of a few retards and buffalo helmets you know <laughs> broke into the broke into the capital yeah. and I, you know i condemn that with 100 percent. yeah you know every bit of it we never want violence in a peaceful society but if it wasn't for violence, we wouldn't have a peaceful society. Yeah. It, you know, and you got to think of it that way. Well, it's just like the old mentality. It's like, uh, you know, if you're encountered with a bully in growing up in high school or grade school or whatever the case be, you know, everybody's like, well, you really, sh I mean, violence for violence isn't really the ne the best option. And then, you know, what's the old Jesuit uh, adage two wrongs don't make a right yeah. or you know things of that nature but at the same time you know we've you know during trump's administration we heard the one one phrase a lot is that strength strength or unity through strength or un or peace through st strength or yeah, whatever and it's not a new statement it's something no. that we've heard before it's just that mentality that if you if you exude strength in your poise and your posture, it doesn't mean you're going around beating people over the head constantly. But if you draw a line in the sand, like if you you say, okay, Putin, that's enough. Yep. We're, you know, this We're is done. the line, you know, you've crossed it. So, all right, you, you, don't, you can't go any further. I'll, or we're going to react to this. And that's not just Putin. I'm just using him as an example. Because he's fresh in everybody's mind. Yeah. But, I mean, in any regards. But I'm going back to your statement of terrorism. I'm thinking about this. You know, you know, we don't understand. We, we understand what happens in Western culture very closely. Because, you know, like things happened in Paris a couple years ago where there was... Uh, a nightclub that was blown up or whatever the case be. We remember that and everybody, you know, rallied to France's side over that. And now the Ukraine and there were other things that happened in Europe because the U.S. has such a close connection to Europe because our lineage oh, goes yeah. back to Britain and goes back to Europe and goes back to... Nearly everybody can trace themselves that, back to that, somebody in Europe. Yeah, and that's why it's such... it's it's It, it resonates. Now... The, the connection between the U.S. and the Middle East has become something that's growing, mm -hmm. I think, in some regards. You know, we have a larger population and influx of people that are coming to this country for the right reasons, that are establishing roots and whatever the case be. But I think about, you know, like with Afghanistan back in the 80s, we recognized Russia's incursion into Afghanistan as being an aggressor and an aggressee, you know, being that Afghanistan in for more or less terms, was in the right for defending themselves that the way they did against the incursion of the Russian forces at that time. And we cheered it along. Absolutely. We even supported some of them. Yep. But some of them, as a result of a support, and because of their jaded, abstracted view of how the West is involved out there, turned into what we now term as terrorists. Yep. You know, and I think about that in the context. It's like, you know, I think about Hezbollah and all these different groups that erupt. I mean, there's there's probably a litany. Like, I, I can only imagine the dossier that the CIA has on how many different cells and groups and splinters and all these other groups that are coming as a result of these changes in mentality of how they look at politics and all this other kind of stuff. You know, people, as soon as they turn violent, because they've been pushed up against the wall immediately in today's society, we characterize them as terrorists. Yep. You know, and but 
from the perspective of a person that's living there, they may look at Hezbollah as being the liberty fighters, the freedom yeah. fighters. You know, it's 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 it, it's truth is in the eye of the beholder. It really is in some instances. That's another saying: one man's terrorist is another man's freedom. Exactly. Fighter. And but I'm just saying, and I'm not I'm not excusing uh, by no means am yeah. I excusing what terrorist groups do, but I'm saying that you know sometimes we need to look at things from a more holistic standpoint uh, to understand what's going on here. I mean, if you know we've got Canadians for crying out loud who have always been joked about as being the most peaceful, passive, you know, non-aggressive people on the face of the planet, but yet now you have people that are being drug out by by state police and mounties because they're protesting mandates that they didn't agree with because it was affecting their livelihood yep. and then you have trudeau this pansy little pussy up in canada communist he, bastard uh you know from behind his armed security telling people that you know they're terrorists yep. you know a people that have never been actively involved in any war that i can remember i mean not super directly no, involved yeah. but i mean involved not passively since world war ii really but you know it, it just you, you get where i'm no, going I, with this is that you're taking this people that have had no prior history in in the grand scheme of things and you're trying to graft or paint the silhouette of them being these patriot nationalistic kkk you know whatever else you want to throw in the mix you know yeah, the Canadians are some of the nicest people yeah. that you'll ever meet. Louis C.K. has a funny joke um, that goes back to his uh, of course but maybe type thing um, where we always joke about how he says the, the thing about the nut allergies and whatnot. But <laughs> he also made another uh, joke in that where he said, of course, when every... You know, every time uh, a soldier loses his life or or gets wounded, it's tragic and it's and it's horrific, and and you know the family should be compensated. So on, of course, of course, but maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe if you take a gun into somebody else's country and and get shot, it's not really that weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and it's true. Yeah, uh, you know because you can say what you say about the, the the folks in Afghanistan but when after after the 911 attacks yeah we had we had cause to go into Afghanistan and go after some of those people but at the same time the people on the ground had no idea that 911 had happened yeah you know they don't have NBC or CBS or ABC in 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 Afghanistan they have they have Al Jazeera which is a their local news station and not actually, everybody has access to that. Yeah. I actually like gouges. Yeah. It's there's, not bad. Yeah. There's some decent articles, but the it. point is, is not everybody in Afghanistan has access to that media and knows what happens. So according, you know, from, from their point of view, all of a sudden we're just bombing them and showing up in their country. Yeah. We're the aggressors now. Yeah. And I, I don't care who you are. If, yeah. if you show up here, and start bombing shit, and I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's Canada. Yeah. I'm going after you. Well, it would be. I guess it would be the equivalent. Like, what's that story? I was started telling you right before this about uh, Iran recently launched a oh, missile yeah, yeah, yeah. into the northern quadrant of Iraq, which was a couple within the vicinity of a new U.S. consulate building that they had just built. Thankfully, nobody's actually in the building yet because it's brand new and it's not even in use yet. But which is probably why they felt it. 
Yeah, I okay. I think it was more of a statement than mm -hmm. anything. But that being said, Iran said it was because Israel a couple weeks or a week earlier launched a missile somewhere into a couple missiles into Syria somewhere and ended up killing National Guard or National Revolution. What's it called? Revolutionary the Revo Guard. Yeah, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. So that's Iran's excuse why you would launch an Iraq. You know, to make a statement, I don't know. Maybe it was them launching at the U.S. because the U.S. supports Israel. Israel or whatever the case be. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, you've got, you know, Israel stating that it was actually Hezbollah, possibly that they were launching missiles out that were state, you know. And we know that Hezbollah was just recently within the last, what was it, last year, when that big missile launch was yeah, happening yeah. out of the southern tier. And then Lebanon actually started getting involved into it. I think some of it has to do with, um, you know, when somebody on the block, when you were growing up, when somebody on the block got a new toy and w and <laughs> yeah. was out in, in public playing with this new toy, you wanted to get your toys out yeah. and play with them. I think it, I hate to, I hate to be a reductionist, but it seems more like, well, well, Putin's launching his rockets. I want to launch my rockets too. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and it just seems like, and, and we laugh, but it just seems like yeah. whenever whenever somebody starts launching their rockets, no. somebody else wants to get out and start launching their rockets. <laughs> North Korea launches one and blows themselves. Yeah, it's what blows I'm themselves up. <laughs> even even North Korea was launching. Was they they have this new quote unquote intercontinental ballistic missile that they were testing? They still haven't gotten a missile out of the Sea of Japan, but. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, but I hope they never do. I hope they never do. But the, my, my point is, is it's more it's more like children yeah. that that that, that want to just play with their toys and they have now have an excuse to play with their toys because, well, he's playing with his toys. Why can't I play with my toys? Yeah. And, I, and I think that's it's a kind of a reductionist stance, but it just seems like whenever somebody we have peace. For, for quite a long time and nobody's doing anything bad and then all of a sudden one person yeah. launches a rocket oh, everybody's like I gotta launch my rocket too <laughs> well it's like uh, some of the story that came out of Saudi Arabia is that recently within the week they had a mass execution mm. and that sounds worse than it actually should come off I think because the, the context of that is that it was a mass execution of interned criminals that had already been convicted of certain crimes. Sure. But a preponderance of them were Iranian. Mm. So there's been these peace talks that have been happening between Iran and Saudi Arabia for the longest time. And Iraq is kind of in between the U.S. and between Iraq because they're or Iran because they're uh, allies of both. Yep. So it it just puts you. But to your point, what I was trying to get to long, long way around the block is that. You know, let's say, for instance, we're in somewhere, Pennsylvania, and a random rocket gets launched somewhere. And then we don't know that there was a terrorist cell somewhere located on the blocks of so-and-so yep. speak, and, you know, and come to find out that, you know, we don't know this information. Mm -hmm. This information hasn't been disseminated to us. So all we're seeing it as is that some foreign aggressor just launched a rocket into a peaceful neighborhood and took out people. To your point, yep. this is this is the mentality. This is how the mentalities grow of people within certain populations. Where it's not the guilt of the holistic population. It's usually the guilt of a select nationalistic army or group or cell or whatever the case be that are at fault for a lot of these things. So much of what happens in the world is because of a few. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I hate to, I hate to say something you know, silly like, oh, can't we all just get along? But it just seems like if we could, if we could stop all the cloak and dagger bullshit and just kind of get things out in the open, that maybe we could talk some, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just naive, but I think that if we could just get out and talk, talk some of this shit out that, that we wouldn't, there wouldn't be so much violence. Like yeah. maybe, maybe we could sit down with Iran and say, Hey, look, um, you know, maybe in the past we have gotten our nose into some shit that we probably shouldn't have gotten our nose into. How about we promise to stay out of your business and, and yeah. y- you know what I mean? Like, why can't we just sit down and say, all right, enough's enough. Let's, let's get to the bottom of what these problems are, get them out in the air and, and just kind of get past them so that we can, so that we can all fucking live without, without these constant conflicts all the goddamn time. Did I, um, did I talk to you about that, um. I, I I wish I could had the article in front of me, but there was a guy that was interviewed. He used to work for the State Department back under Nixon and further on up until the 90s or something. And he knew Putin pretty closely. He actually got to meet him back in the late 80s, early 90s, right before he was starting to come onto the scene as a political figure. Because, you know, Putin was a local politician at one yep. point before he yep. became, you know, well known as... You know the Putin that we know today. But that being said, one of the things that he he remembers from his conversations with Putin was with regards to how people negotiate and arbitrate business deals and whatnot. And Putin was like, "Yeah, in your country, I understand that you buy you pay hundreds of dollars per hour for attorneys to litigate and arbitrate between companies, and you know you have a set standard that you arbitrate based off." He's like, "In my country, in Russia, and this is before Putin was the." monster that we see him to be today putin said well in my country the way that we negotiate is that we have two parties go to dinner to each other with each other in one room that's separated from everybody else but all the parties are armed to the teeth mm-hmm. he said because everybody in that room is in fear of losing their life because if something wrong happens everybody starts shooting each yep. other he said that a little bit of fear introduces common sense to the party I'm not going to disagree with that, yeah. you know, the the principle of it. But I think, you know, one of the things, I don't know, have we ever, I, I, I'd have to look back, but have we ever sat down and talked about just national sovereignty, sovereignty and just how some of those things have come into question? I think a lot of that is what's translating to what's happening today, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. National identity is something that some groups don't like. Oh, Absolutely. Um, they don't like the idea that the U.S. is sovereign. They don't like the idea that Russia is sovereign. They don't like the idea that Ukraine is sovereign. They don't like the idea that Saudi Arabia is sovereign or Afghanistan is sovereign or that China is sovereign or that Japan and so on and so on. There are groups out there, think tanks, that believe that sovereignty is not a good thing. But we in the U.S. understand that there is an importance to the sovereignty of the House of Representatives. There's an importance to the sovereignty of the Senate. There's an importance to the sovereignty of the president, state and local. You know, you know what I'm getting at is that there's an importance in the sovereignty of a body of people, whether they be local, state or federal, being able to keep each other in check and balance. I think on the grander scale of things, if you want to be a reductionist about this, it makes sense to keep 
states and countries as nation sovereign states. Yes. Yep. And to and to interact with them on that level because I think if we don't have a certain level of sovereignty, and granted, we're going to get sovereign states into that mix that are questionable, like Putin mm -hmm. right now and how he's acting, and Iran and South or North Korea and you know others along that list. You know, there's there's a litany of potential issues that could happen there, but there's also a litany of good that could happen as a result of the other nations that are sovereign that see things differently. Yeah, I mean, the United States is a very good. Uh example of what you're talking about because um, you know at its base the United States is one country but it's not it's it's a it's a nation of 50 50 separate exactly countries exactly you know 50 separate states people forget that the states in 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 and of themselves are independent from um, from the federal government it's, itself that Pennsylvania at one point was its own state yeah. capital s yep. not lowercase s it was a capital s state like israel is a state and ukraine is a state um and you know texas was its own state and california was its own state and it wasn't until the civil war where it 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 went from the united states are to the united states is yeah because we were no longer a group of states, we were one federal thing. Yeah. And, and, and I think, uh, to your point, the reason why we're so divided is because the, the respect for the state has been washed away. Yeah, it's been depreciated. Yeah. There's no respect for Pennsylvania's right to govern itself yeah. versus California's right to govern itself. Uh, so now when a law is enacted in California, people in Pennsylvania get pissed off because yeah. the federal precedent is going to apply rules in California to the rules in Pennsylvania where the populations are completely different. Well, it's like when, not to uh, mansion, West Virginia, Democrat, but considered like a blue dog Democrat, kind of down the middle. All the flack and all the just the ugly comments that have been vitriol. thrown toward yeah, vitriol that's been thrown his way as well as West Virginia's. You got idiots like Bette Midler making comments like, oh, those West Virginians are just too stupid to know, you know, and then you have these PhDs, people that are PhDs and have masters that are responding directly to Midler and, you know, directly on Manchin's behalf. It's like, we're actually happy with Manchin. Absolutely. And that's, that's the point is that Manchin whether the whether his constituents in the White House want to recognize it is by and large representing the interest of his people. Mm -hmm. Because if that were not the case, I think we would see more vitriol coming out of West Virginia. Yeah, absolutely. Towards him. Yep. Like with Wolf. We all hate Wolf. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. If you can't recognize that Wolf is an idiot, then you shouldn't be in any kind of administrative position ever in your life because wolf just doesn't know what he's doing so that's that's by that's a, a statement unto itself yeah so that's not a democrat or republican position that's just stating things for what they are well wolf keeps talking and you know not to get too far off track but wolf, yeah. wolf keeps talking about how he's protecting democracy and protecting democracy but yet we have bills that are passed yeah we have a we have a republican legislature right now but they represent the people and they have a majority for the reason for yeah. a reason because they were fucking elected. Yeah. And when they put legislation on his desk that was passed unanimously by both houses and he vetoes that shit just because he doesn't agree with it, 
that's not protecting democracy. You're you're actually flying in the face of democracy. Yeah. You, you, the people have spoken and they said what they want, and you just want to do what you want anyway. And and that's that's just bullshit. I mean, on the same token, I mean, Democrats are going to represent their platform, and Republicans are going to represent theirs, and Libertarians and Independents are going to hopefully represent theirs in some way, shape, or form. You know, through a candidate or through some other candidate. Yeah. And that's the thing is that. What's crazy about independents and libertarians, which we classify ourselves as, we tend to we tend to identify through through a candidate in one of those two other parties because there's never really an independent candidate. There's never really a libertarian candidate no, out there. We have there. no true representation no, as an independent. Not in that regard. But at the same time, independent really means is that we're at liberty to decide what side of the argument we're wanting to agree with That's right the problem is that is kind of annoying is that we can't vote in primaries which yeah. to some extent i understand i understand, it. I understand the, the logistics We're not in the club yeah <laughs> so to speak <laughs> you know you can go down to sam's club and pay 40 dollars a year and be part of that club but yeah. you know when it comes to the republican or democrat you have yep. to agree with everything yeah that that party and that's does. another thing that's been pissing me off I, we're, we're over the hour mark but i want to get this point out anyway um another thing that pisses me off is doesn't matter whether it's the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, you have to buy in by and large. Yeah, you can't you can't just be like, oh, I consider myself a Republican, but I, I agree that there should be some cases where abortion should be allowed. Yeah, all, all of a sudden, oh well, you're you're a you're a fucking hippie and yeah. you want abortions for everybody. No, that's not what I said. I said I don't want to just outright ban them because there are. There are slivers of exceptions yeah. that are, you know, and and on the on the other side of the coin, you can't be a Democrat and say, you know what, I think they need to leave the Second Amendment alone. Yeah. And we know, especially in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of Democrats that are very much pro Second Amendment. Absolutely. So but it's it, it's this this mentality that we have right now that it's by and large. Yeah. You, you got to buy into the whole fucking platform yeah. or nothing at all. Yeah. And that's why hook line uh, and singer, yeah, sinker, and, yeah. And, and again, that's another reason why I went independent because it's like, no, that's not, that's not how it's supposed it's to. It's not be. how life works. It's not how life works yeah. at all. Not every Democrat is a carbon copy of every other Democrat. Not every Republican is a carbon copy of Jeb Bush. Yeah, exactly. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's, there's. Not everybody agrees with Mitch McConnell. No. I think that a lot of the shit that Mitch McConnell has done has been bullshit. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I want to throw out the whole party. The same same way, I I I love Manchin. I think I don't agree with all of his policies. Yeah. But the fact that he had the testicular fortitude to to stand in the face of his own party, him and Cinema were the only ones yeah. that saved, in my opinion, saved this country from throwing out the filibuster yeah if they would have thrown out the filibuster we would have been a dictatorship and that would have been the end of any kind of true democracy that we have in this country yeah the minority needs to have needs to have a say and that's why i mean even in you know thinking about we're, we're not in the reagan days anymore if you think of the reagan days reagan was a democrat reagan was somebody who moved from california democrat to a republican stance was was more of a center of the road stance which in some regards that that could be said of trump because trump's yeah. always been a democrat he's not a republican but you know to your point you know 
backpedaling a little bit, and I know we're over. Oh, but, we're fine. Um, one of the things that I said is I said, you know, Trump was good for the time, but I think his time is up. Yeah, I do too. And I think that somebody else, we need new blood. And I think Trump needs to get behind somebody else that would have the fortitude to move forward with <clears throat> new policies. We, we need somebody up there that can talk to both sides. Yep. We need somebody that doesn't call people retards on in national television. We need somebody that, you know, can toe that line. You know, yep. we need somebody that's got that maturity. And yep. I'm not saying that Trump was a good for what he, there, there was a reason why. He was why exactly what we needed at the he time. He was there. He was there. But now I think we need to move on from him. But there are some people that will be like, to your point, yep. be like, well, well you're, you're obviously a rhino. Yeah, or what. It's like, yep. And I had to correct them. It's like, I'm not even a really a Republican. <laughs> exactly. It's like, so I can't be a rhino I'm if I'm not an, a Republican. I'm just an I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. There's no R yeah. there. I'm just I, an I know. That's a good one. Don't be a rhino. Be an I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, I get what you're saying. And I, I I was behind Trump in 2016. I'm glad he won. He was the wrecking ball yeah. that we needed to, to open, buddy, open everybody's yeah. eyes to the way that the government actually worked. And the fact that he lost, had he won in 2020, I think we would be in a different place now. Um, but I also think his age needs to be taken into consideration, yeah. too. Well, think about it. What's he going to be? He's going to be the same age Biden 70, was. 70, he'll be He's 75 now. Yeah. And I, you know, and it's not an ageist thing. No. I have nothing against, it's not an ageist question. My issue is more with what I've seen him, where I see he'll take this. Mm -hmm. I, I think that he should have dropped certain things a while ago. He should have just moved on from it. And, you know, that's a whole conversation by yep. itself. But I'm just, I think he, he set the stage. He needs to put his leverage behind somebody that everybody can kind of get behind you know it's like it would be wonderful if there was another reagan-esque type person out there that could really speak to both sides of the aisle i don't know if we're going to get there because we spent the last 20 30 years basically telling each other that we're either part of the kkk or black panthers yep. or you know we're trying to we've spent the last 20 years trying to convince each other again that we're not the same people you know after in the 80s my estimations of the 80s and early 90s is that people were kind of cool with each other yep. to some extent. That's not to say that there weren't still problems that needed to be dealt with, but people could look each other in the eye and not be like, okay, what's he going to do with me if I turn my back? Yeah. You know, we've spent the last 20 years, and I'm not saying that's the general consensus. I'm just, it feels like that's the narrative that they're trying to craft is that that's how people feel about one another. And there, there, so, something should be said too about social media playing uh, yeah. a role in this too. Yeah. Because the anonymity of social media, and you may have your name on something, like yeah. on Facebook, my name is there. Yeah. But it's a lot different when you're not face to face with a person. Yeah. You, you can can't, say things. You can't say the bullshit you do. Yeah. In, you can cock in, off pretty heavily. Yeah. On online and there's no repercussions well, whereas if you, you you wouldn't do that to somebody in person because you're just one it's uncomfortable you you know yeah. conflict is un uncomfortable and two you tend to have a little bit more respect for somebody when you're face to face with them it's like me thinking that if i ever had a chance to sit down with president joe biden would I throw a flaming bag of dog poo at him? Yeah. No, I probably would. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> do I want to? Yes. Do I want to now? <laughs> and that's no. That's that's actually a perfect point because do I want to now? Yes. I I, <laughs> I, I fantasize about walking up to the man and just punching him square in the nose. However, 
I probably wouldn't. If I <laughs> if I met the guy in person, I'd probably be like, you know, hello, Mr. President, and I would be nice and I'd be cordial, and we could probably have a conversation, most likely over ice cream, <laughs> but <laughs> but I could have a conversation with the guy. Yeah. And that's why everybody liked George W. Because he felt like a guy that you could yeah. have a beer with in your yeah. backyard and invite him to a barbecue. He didn't try to talk above he you. Didn't, or, he, yeah. I don't think he was capable of talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> capable of talking above you. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, Trump was the same way. He was just a guy that I feel like I could have, I could have a conversation with him. I feel like I could sit down and there'd be a lot of hand waving and a lot of hyperbole. But I feel like I could... I could talk to the guy. I don't know. In all honesty, I don't know that I could talk to Joe Biden. Would 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 he be a human being and have an actual conversation, or would it just be talking points? Yeah, you know, like a typical politician. Well, any you can't talk to a politician, especially somebody of that caliber. Yeah, you know, directly about anything because there, you know, there's there's too many things to take into account in the conversation. I know, I know a couple of I, I know a couple of politicians. Somewhat personally, um, Representative Joe Ham, we mm-hmm. we know him pretty well yeah, yeah. because of our past relationships yeah. with him. Um, so I feel like I could sit down with him. Not that what everything we say represents Joe Ham. No, no, He's not just... no. Don't yeah. Don't don't tie our <laughs> don't tie our bullshit to him. Yeah. Uh, he, he's actually a decent guy. Um, and but like Gene uh, Yaw. Uh, yeah, f- former former yeah. Um, congressman for Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, I think he retired, and he's he's uh, Joe Ham is in his seat now. Yeah, um, but G- Gene Yaw uh, has spent time in the cabin that you're that we're we're talking from yeah. right now. I mean, we have we have all kinds of stuff that that he gave us, and we, he would come and check on us because he was a hunter, so he would stop in on in deer season and stuff, and just see how we were doing and talk to us. But he was a human. And I, that's what I remember about Genia, and that's what I remember about Joe Ham is that I've that I've had these personal conversations with them, and I know them not on a personal level, yeah. like I've been to their house and had dinner, but on a personal level to where I've had some actual human conversations yeah. with them, and and walked away with um, you know with the, with the benefit of that conversation. Yeah, so, and there's something to be said about local politicians too, is that. Even regardless of where they stand on the side of the aisle, they typically live in the neighborhood to which they serve. So there's that element of connection, whereas the White House, people in the White House, people in Senate even, to some extent, I don't know so much about House of Representatives, but they have a tendency to really distance themselves from the very people that they talk to. And I think, you know, I, I, I actually was going, you know, Growing up in Philadelphia, you either voted Democrat or you didn't vote for anybody because there were no Republicans to vote for. Yeah. I mean, so you just found the best of the Democrats that were running. And, you know, truth be told, a lot of them, the ones that at least I had the privilege to meet that were trying to run for positions were decent human beings. Yep. And I mean, I'm just, you know, even Rendell, who I don't speak very highly of as being the governor of Pennsylvania. You know, the guy, there was a story about him having spent an entire night in a hospital ward because of a police officer that had recently been shot in the line of duty. The, I mean, for all Rendell's faults, the guy had a big heart. He was a very personable person. He could come up to anybody and just talk to him, and he would in a lot of cases. He was just that type of person. You know, politically speaking, no, I don't have a whole lot of love for some of the things that he did and said and you know stood for and whatnot, but 
you know, on, on the base level of things, that human interaction piece, I could, you know, I could, you know, recognize, you know, there's a good heart there, you know, yeah. to some extent. So I don't know. I, it's just, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, there's been a lot of efforts over the last however many years really just to create a gap between us and it's a canyon. Yeah. It's it's a it's a large fissure. Yeah. Um that that's happened between the Democrat and Republican party. There used to not be all that much difference. No. Between the two parties and I I fear that we may never get back to that place, but I think that I think that's more on us than it is on them. Yeah. They're a product of 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 the environment. Yeah. Um and the political environment right now is is team red or team blue yeah and until we can we can find somebody purple (laughs) you know what i mean we're not going to have we're not going to have the reconciliation that we need as a country and this goes for the world too because the same thing can be said you know real quick before we end going back to the russian ukraine thing there's a lot of people that see see russia as an anti-globalist type of country and they are uh, putin is anti anti-globalist anti great reset anti uh, you, you know whatever you new world order whatever you want to call the 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 whatever conspiracy theory term they have labeled on it now but putin in no way wants a global economy he wants russia to be independent yeah. and sovereign I can respect that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he is right. s- stable or sane. Yeah. Just because um, I, I don't believe that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. No. The enemy of my enemy is an enemy, and and I should be cautious. Maybe he, maybe Russia d- does some things to benefit us in the in the in the short term but they've never been on our side in the long term yeah so when when russia says that they're for independence and therefore therefore a non-globalist sovereign type of thing it's not the same thing as when we say it yeah because he still believes in the collective he doesn't believe in the individual he doesn't believe in individual liberty he believes in the collective liberty yeah and unless you belong to the right group you don't get that liberty and well, that's not liberty in and of itself it shows with how he's even dealing with people that are protesting you know what's going on in the ukraine because a lot of people don't again to just reiterate this even though that we've as you know our podcast we the two of us have taken the stance that we support ukraine the fact of the matter is this is not that we're not in support of people in russia no you know we're very much pro-russian people that are for freedom we're very much pro-russian people in general we we know that those people that are marching through those streets are being taken to jail yeah and for you know who knows how long for simply just stating that they don't agree with putin's move to do this because there's family in the ukraine russia's very close to a civil war right now oh yeah they're very close to a civil war and i don't know what that looks like globally um but i do know that you know, Putin's the kind of guy that I I really don't think he fears going after his own people. No, whatsoever. No. Whereas, you know, the the United States Civil War 
was probably one of the most unique wars ever fought. And we could have a whole podcast yeah. about that. So I'm not going to get into it very, very deeply because we've got to you know, wrap up here. <laughs> uh, but the United States Civil War was very much brother against brother. Whereas yeah. when the fighting stopped, a lot of times the two armies would come together and have dinner yeah. after the battles. Um, when when holidays happened, they would they would take breaks and ceasefires and, and come together and have parties as opposite sides. Um, Which is extremely weird to think of. Yeah. That one day you're on opposite sides of the battlefield with yep. guns pointed at each other, and the next day you're at a table. You're at a steak dinner. Yeah. You know, celebrating with the same people. But Be that just but shows a level of maturity and civility it, it that was. we've lost. It was a true civil war. Yeah. Like it. And and uh, there's famous, there's famous um, stories about... You know, everybody's aware of the the um, the Masons and things like that, where Masons would wear these big gold medallions, big giant like twelve oh, inch gold yeah. medallions. And if you were on the other side of the battle, was Flavor Flav? Uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Don't believe the hype. Uh, but uh, they would wear these big medallions, and if you were across the battlefield and saw one of those medallions, you aimed to the right or to the left, so that you weren't shooting other Masons. Name me one other war where the people are like, all right, they're on my side. They're not on my side. You yeah. Know, and, and you would selectively recognize them. And yeah, that never happens. So, I mean, that would not happen in a Russian civil war. In a Russian civil war, it would be whoever's pro-Putin would just go through and eliminate anyone that is anti-Putin. And, it, you know, our civil war would have went a lot quicker if we would have done that. But. Well, it's sad because there's even stories coming out of the Ukraine where there's, you know, Russian soldiers that have either been captured or have given up are being treated humanely. Absolutely. Like they're being given well food. They they're, given, they're given the opportunity to contact family or yep. get back over cross lines or whatever the case be. I mean, that, you know, as usually we talk about disagreements ending in a fist fight. You know, we, we talk about, you know, 40s, 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, up and there was always like this sense that, you know, when you got into a disagreement with somebody, if it got heated enough, you could get into a fist fight. You never pulled out guns on somebody. Yes. You never went to the extent or the nth degree of thinking that it was right and OK to kill that person. But, you know, the, the extent cut off, the line was drawn with that you bloodied one another's nose. You had a couple of bruises and scrapes. You walked it off and then that was the end yeah. of it. And, you know, one would hope is that that's what this would translate into. But the way it's turned, what it's turning into now is that it's like, okay, we don't care if we blow up hospitals. We don't yeah. care if we blow up apartment buildings with people in it. We don't care if we kill the elderly. We don't care if we kill children and, you know, women and children that are fleeing, you know, and running from this event and whatnot. So it's just... You know, they're to your point, and I know we got to stop, but no, I, civility, yeah. civility has been lost in the way that we deal and interact with in each every other. aspect of human life in the modern era. Civility does not play a part in it anymore. No, and and I think that was one of the things that made the United States great is that we all had we all had differing opinions, and we all had. I remember a time when people didn't talk about politics. Yeah. It was considered rude. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like you just wouldn't, it's, if somebody brought up, uh, you know, an election or something like people would kind of, you know, they'd get uncomfortable in their seat and they wouldn't, yeah. you know, they couldn't, they couldn't be comfortable talking because you just didn't, 
it, it just wasn't important. You didn't talk about how you voted or who you yeah. voted for or the latest issues that were happening. You just didn't talk about it. You kept your opinions to yourself and everybody got along. I think at the same time, though, is that for for us to be able to be confrontational with each other but not hate each other during yeah. the process has been sure. lost in a lot that of that. Too. That too, absolutely. And that's been something that's been kind of cultivated over the last couple of years, especially with social media. And we know that the, we could, I think we should, we should put on our ticker somewhere that we'll investigate this a little deeper, how this whole social media craze, and it's already been talked about, but yeah. I don't think we've really dived into it too much, but. Social media has done a lot to erode uh, civility. Basic human respect Basic human for the re- person yeah. across the aisle from you. Yep, yep, and or across the and because you can find a, you can find a community that agrees with everything that you agree with, yeah. and then it becomes an echo chamber. Yeah, and then anybody that scratches at your at your belief system is now the enemy because yeah. they they're tearing down what you believe. I think we should do an episode on on you know the death of civility in political conversation because i'm pretty sure if we were really to dig into it we would find that it's not it's not just the us's problem it's the world's problem at this point social media has been a great big influence and it's and it's helped out a lot in a lot of different places but it's also a a a big cudgel yeah in some places too where it you know it's it's not used as a peacekeeping tool um, but anyway, uh, we should we should <laughs> stop our tangents and we should end this uh, for this week anyway. So, um, long story short, I, I guess the message of today's podcast is you know reach reach out, you know um, talk to people that you're not comfortable talking to, um, you, you know have conversations about things. Don't have arguments. Yeah, uh, you know when things start to get heated. You know, bring it back to a common to a common ground. Things that you can agree on. Um, personally, I, I like to go to the Bill of Rights, and that's just my personal thing. If you can talk about the Bill of Rights, um, especially in United States politics, and everyone agrees in that conversation that the Bill of Rights should exist and that they should be applied equally, then we can start a conversation on the rest of the stuff. But we have to. You have to find a common ground. Um, that you can start from first. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash PA between the lines. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter at the BTL podcast, and you can find us obviously anywhere that podcasts are uh, distributed. Um, recently, um, we've become a little bit more prevalent on Apple podcasts. I've noticed that we've gotten... Um, the majority of our audience now is split between um, Apple and Spotify. Hmm. Um, and we've gotten some people that are listening to us on Google podcasts and things cool. like that. So we appreciate everyone. Um, we've had quite a few, um, uh, quite a few good interactions with folks uh, online. Um, so continue to talk to us. Um, you know, we, we tend to, favor Facebook a little bit more than, um, than some of the other platforms. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter more than Dave is on Twitter. Dave tends to be on Facebook more than I'm on Facebook. Um, so if you see us, you know, online or, or something along the line, you know, feel free to engage, uh, talk to us and, and more than likely we'll, uh, 
will engage back. Tell me how much of an ass hat I really am. <laughs> yeah, we're always interested. <laughs> we're always interested in hearing how bad we are. Um, <laughs> you know, that's how improvement happens. So check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Um, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Breaker. Um, you you name it, we're there. Um, share it. Uh, tell your friends, uh, you know, share the podcast. Don't be embarrassed by us. Uh, we're embarrassed by ourselves. Don't you be embarrassed yeah. by it. Um, share us. Um, tell some friends about us. Have some people listen to our podcast. That's the only way that this is going to grow because uh, we can't afford advertising. And we don't so. cost even a gallon of gas to listen no. to. How's that? Yeah, you can you can listen to our podcast cheaper than a gallon of gas. <laughs> what does that tell you? So, um, again... Facebook.com forward slash PA between the lines on Twitter at the BTL podcast. Hit us up. Let us know what we can do better. Uh, let us know what we're doing badly. Um, and we'll be happy to, um, you know, file those in the circular bin. Um, <laughs> all right. Everyone have a great week. Um, you know, be good to yourselves and each other. See ya. Bye.